This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. We really need to to look at how we better identify where care opportunities, beds, if you will, are, are available. The priorities compete for attention. Having the discussion is of a, a great deal of uh, value, but we do want to figure out what is best for Iowa to move forward. And even where there is policy agreement, there's the need for resources. What's going to probably define this session is, is Democrats pushing back on things that happened in the 2017 session. More about the issues facing the Iowa legislature, our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. The 2018 Iowa Legislative Session is one week old. Most of the first week was spent with opening remarks by legislative leaders and condition of the state and judiciary messages. Last week, we focused on a number of issues tied to the state's finances on this program, Funding for any issue is dependent on keeping our overall fiscal house in order, of course, but there appears to be agreement on the need to address both water quality and mental health this session. How remains to be seen, but at least there's agreement about the need. Yeah, well, I hope it's one of the first bills that I get to sign as the governor of the state. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds. Uh, We've been working on it for three years. We actually, you know, came up with an idea, but we said we're not we're not wedded to this. If you have a better idea on how to really make sure that we have a long-term dedicated source of revenue for water quality, we believe that the nutrient reduction strategy is the right strategy. Uh, We just need to have a long-term and dedicated revenue source. And so the House kind of put together a bill and we said, that's great. Send it over to the, that was when it was a split legislature. And uh, we, the, the majority at that time, uh, Senator Gronstall decided not to take it to the floor, so it didn't get a vote. Um, In the interim, then we came back the next year with the House bill. They were able to pass a very, very similar version to that out of the Senate, sent it over to the House. And so I'm hoping that uh, we can maybe pick that bill up, uh, pass it, send it down to me for a signature, and then continue the conversation, because I don't think it should stop there. We need to continue to look for ways that we can utilize maybe better financing, make sure that we're looking at this from a watershed perspective. It's really important that we do that. Maybe look at some um, potential pilot programs when we're looking at some of the um, different types of funding that the House bill uh, was trying to move forward uh, last legislative session. So even if we can get something done, that's not the end of the water quality discussion. I think we need to continually be looking at ways that we can enhance potential funding and make sure that we're looking at best practices and continuing to lose, use, utilize technology and innovation. Speaker of the House Linda Upmeyer is a Clear Lake Republican. You know, the House has moved uh, a bill out of the House each year and sent it to the Senate, and the, uh, the Senate didn't love our bill each year. So we're going to uh, look real hard for consensus as we, as we come back. But um, I, there's certainly a will and desire to make sure that we uh, answer this question on water quality and move forward. And I think uh, one of the things we 
probably should recognize is that even during the time when we're having this discussion on which way to move forward in a very formal way, we are still utilizing dollars through the Nutrient Reduction Plan and through other mechanisms to improve water quality. In fact, while the legislature has had this discussion, water quality has improved pretty dramatically in some parts of the state. So um, I guess uh, having the discussion is a, of a great deal of uh, value, but we do want to figure out what is best for Iowa to move forward. And in doing so, we will use data. I think that's one of the things that we need to uh, remember, that the solution we're looking for is one that is data-driven. Uh, because I think that's very important. If we're going to sustain something over time, the only way we'll be able to do that and, and keep people interested in doing that is if we're focusing on outcomes and, and, and the data that drives whatever program we use. So that's one of the things we'll be looking at. Senate Majority Leader Bill Dix is a Shell Rock Republican and a farmer. First of all, we're spending a lot of money on those efforts already. Um, the state of Iowa, I believe, is spending somewhere close to $50 million annually on water quality initiatives currently. And this bill at full implementation, I believe, would uh, approach that number as well. The big thing that, that my caucus and I think all of us should recognize is rather than you know committing a huge amount of money, let's look at how and getting started first in what we do and measuring results and making sure that what Iowans are investing is actually improving our water. That, that, that should be our number one goal. The issue may be seen differently on the other side of the partisan aisle. This is Waterloo State Senator Democrat Bill Dotzler. I'm not one to sit and blame agriculture. I mean, they're the one, they're really one of the number one providers of nitrates, although people in cities got their chem lawns and, they, you know, they're they're doing stuff they probably shouldn't do. But agriculture, we all benefit from cheap commodities from agriculture. And uh, really, we're pushing the agricultural world to produce more for everybody. So as a city person, I really believe that we need to help our, our friends in the agricultural world. I was an agricultural state. The number one thing that they talk about um, for Iowa that can benefit in our economy is biosciences and working in that area. But we need to do more to help farmers uh, mitigate some of the nitrate losses. Uh, some of the new technology with drone technology and assessing soils and being able through through technologies to put a minimum amount down that can be utilized in specific areas. Iowa Secretary of Agriculture and Land Stewardship Bill Northey has long been an advocate for water quality issues to be addressed. You know, I'm, I'm very hopeful, and I, I think it's better than an even chance that it gets done. Both the Iowa House and the Iowa Senate passed a funding proposal uh, this last year, but it wasn't the same one, so it couldn't get to the governor's desk. So I think there is interest um, in trying to get something done. The challenge is getting that one proposal uh, that gets through both chambers. Right now there is the Senate proposal in front of the House um, that could get passed um, out of the House. Uh, so I think it's a better than 50-50 chance that it happens, uh, but it's but it's not a slam dunk. Uh, it's hard, and these are tight budget times. 
I think it'd be very meaningful if the legislature would do it. I think it'd be noticed, and I think it'd be a great signal to uh, to tell them, show everyone how serious we are as a state in addressing water quality. More from Iowa policymakers in a moment. But first, an overview of the issues facing the legislature this session from Christopher Larimer, a political science professor at the University of Northern Iowa in Cedar Falls. There's a lot of complexity there. It's hard to get a good sense of what the exact shortfall is, but the short answer is there's a budget shortfall, which puts a lot of constraints on legislators in terms of the, the programs and priorities that they want to fund. What we've seen with the Revenue Estimating Conference, and it's an extraordinarily difficult job. I mean, you have a three-person panel that's essentially trying to come up with revenue estimates for the entire state of Iowa, and they meet four times a year, release those estimates four times a year. But what we've seen in recent years is that their estimates have increasingly diverged from what the actual revenues are when they come in. And that's not necessarily to say that that's their fault. It's just that the state's budget is becoming more and more complex, and it's hard to get, it seems to be harder to get a good estimate. And so if those estimates are off in December and then they're off again in March, and then you have legislators trying to catch up to those estimates, you're seeing a bigger gap between what they're projecting and what actual revenues come in. And then at the end of the session, it's the legislature or the governor coming back and saying we have to adjust our numbers. And that makes it very, very difficult for the state and then for the next uh, legislative session. So there may be some uh, tinkering around the edges to try to improve uh, the accuracy of, the, of those estimates. You look at what the big... Uh, where we spend a lot of our money, a lot of it's on education, whether it's higher education or K-12 through education. We spend a lot of money on uh, health and human services um, with Medicaid. You know, those are, the, those are the kind of the big programs that are out there, a lot on uh, corrections. Um, and so you wonder if there's going to be cuts with, with some of those coming in. I think given what happened last legislative session, um, where you saw a very polarized legislature uh, you saw a very conservative agenda being pushed through and a lot of Democrats uh, upset with the way that process unfolded. It's going to be interesting to see what uh, Republican legislators, because they have uh, uh, unified control of state government, what they try to cut given what happened last session. You get, I get the feeling that there are a lot of bad feelings down there in Des Moines between Democrats and Republicans because of the way that the process unfolded last session. For Democrats, you're going to see them uh, talking a lot about you know, the, the repeal or the reform of collective bargaining rights from last session, that's going to be, uh, you know, I think brought up throughout the session with they try to introduce bills to restore some of those collective bargaining rights. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. Um, I think you're going to hear a lot about education, K-12 through education, higher education, um, which is not surprising. And you're going to hear a lot of talk about, uh, I think, mental health issues. That's one that seems to be coming up more and more, not just during the session, but throughout the year, obviously. And there have been um, some controversial decisions made in the past as far as closing, closings of uh, mental health institutions in the state of Iowa. It's, it is a serious problem for the state. And so I think you're going to see uh, uh, members of both parties uh, try to do something on, uh, on mental health. I think water quality is always an issue in Iowa. Um, I think just dealing with, with the, the, the Medicaid reforms that were pushed through a few years ago, there's gonna be, you're going to see Democratic legislators pushing back on that. I think What's going to probably define this session is, is Democrats pushing back on things that happened in the 2017 session, trying to restore some of that, knowing full well that they're not going to get through, but at least trying to introduce those bills to, to push those back. I think for Republicans, you know, they're not going to look to, they're not going to be looking to do anything any controversial because, as you said, it's an election year. Um, you know, the, the cuts to corporate, uh, corporate tax cuts or corporate uh, tax giveaways, I guess if you want to call them, um, that certainly raised a lot of uh, flags among uh, Democrats and others as far as if, if the state has gone too far with some of that. 
depending on who you talk to, some people will say that's the reason for the budget shortfall. Other people will say it's the, the, the uh, a downturn in the ag economy. So you, you may see some on uh, corporate tax cuts. Like I said, you may see some on Medicaid. You may see some uh, movement on licensure requirements. We, we continue to hear more about how Iowa has uh, requires so much in terms of licensing for very, various occupations that maybe the legislature will try to roll back some of that. UNI political science professor Chris Larimer. When we come back, addressing mental health care issues. That's next when the Iowa Watch Connection continues. Support for the Iowa Watch Connection comes from the Iowa Insurance Division's Iowa Fraud Fighters Program. This statewide initiative educates Iowans on how to double-check before they invest and shield their savings from scammers. Thousands of Iowans have attended fraud fighter forums across the state to learn about new scams circulating in their area and how to stay a step ahead of fraudsters. Learn how to fight fraud and why it is important to report scams at iowafraudfighters.gov. Support for the Iowa Watch Connection comes from AARP Iowa. Every two seconds, someone's identity gets stolen. That's why AARP launched the Fraud Watch Network to arm people of all ages with the tools they need to spot and avoid scams. Learn how to protect yourself at aarp.org slash fraudwatchnetwork. That's aarp.org slash fraudwatchnetwork. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. We continue our look at the issues facing lawmakers this session by focusing on mental health care. First, House Speaker Linda Upmeyer. We also um, did some work last year on that that uh, changed the taxing authority a little bit. That was a heavy lift. Got it done. That's helpful in some regions, and some regions haven't utilized it. So we'll, we'll see. But for that, I think the other, the other thing I think we have to uh, look at is we talk a lot about beds in, in this arena. So we really, if you look at the data, we have enough acute beds. So for the very sickest, the institutional uh, kinds of cases, we have adequate bed space. In fact, we have more bed space perhaps than we need. The problem is we're filling it with the wrong people because we're lacking a component in our communities. And in our communities, we need to develop a, a, a subacute system, uh, for lack of a better word, but a system that if someone's coming out of crisis or someone looks like they're escalating into a potential crisis, somebody has uh, the habit of not uh, taking their meds correctly, we have a place where we can have some supervision, perhaps even some residential for short periods of time, but it's a place where we can do far more than we're doing today, 
but it's not a locked unit in, in some facility. We have lots of interaction in the community uh, and that can pace people back into integrating back into the community but a lot more supervision, a lot more resources and opportunities. That's what we're lacking. That's what we need to get uh, move forward uh, in my mind to make uh, our mental health system much more stable. So we'll see if uh, what is necessary from the legislative perspective, uh, what else we need to do from there. But I think uh, there's a lot of discussion about that and I'm excited about it. Uh, I was talking about this when I was a health chair uh, uh, probably a decade ago, and it, it's what we haven't developed uh, even over all that time, and I think it's a really important thing that we have as part of the system. The issues of mental health care and reforming the state's Medicaid systems are in many ways intertwined, as noted by both Governor Kim Reynolds and State Senator Jeff Danielson. Once again, we need to continue to modernize um, the system and make sure that it's a uh, that we're um, really patient-centered, patient-focused. We've taken some steps in the right direction, and when I say this, it never means that we should be satisfied with where we're at. We should never be satisfied with the status quo. But if you look at the, the changes that we've made since 2013, we have 150,000 Iowans today that have mental health coverage that didn't before. We had mental health being delivered in all 99 counties, and the service was very disparate. It really depended on where you lived, whether individuals had the same access to the same quality care, and we moved away from 99 counties to regions, and each one of those regions have to guarantee the same core mental health services no matter where an Iowan lives in the state, and that's really important. Uh, we've uh, increased funding by about uh, $2 billion and about a $500, $500 million increase over the last five years, so we're putting more money in. We were last uh, with, with psychiatrists. We've started a residency program that will actually start next year, um, and we were able to put about $4 million. $2 billion is what the increase has been in mental health, and $4 million is, is for the residency program. So we need to look at how we can um, uh, enhance that, how we can. I, I would like to focus on... Um, uh, children's mental health services too. There's not really a system in place and I think that that's really important so I want to take a look at how we can better coordinate that um, from a holistic perspective. Uh, so there's some things that we're looking at that we'll be uh, talking about in the condition of the state but we're, we're making progress but we have a lot of work left to do and, and uh, we've got some good ideas on how we can move forward with that. Yeah this is a priority issue and, and I firmly believe that uh, awareness leads to education, leads to understanding, leads to change, and, and maybe we're farther down that, that process, and that would be a good thing. What can we do? Well, first of all, keep in mind Medicaid privatization affects mental health because there are a lot of um, Iowans who are eligible for Medicaid who have mental health issues. We put insurance companies in charge of that gatekeeper status for those services, and as you know, Jeff, we've fought for years to have mental health parity, that is, insurance policies that paid for mental health services on par with physical uh, health. And so another flaw in the Medicaid privatization effort was that you put companies in charge of a service that don't really have a track record of doing it very well. So my hope is under Medicaid privatization, we carve that piece out and go back to 
providing that service directly through HME and, and DHS. Secondly, and probably as important, we have to start to invest in our local community providers, and I think we need to do it directly rather than with the gatekeeper status of the HMOs. There are communities like Waterloo, Cedar Falls, Blackhawk County, who have, who have staffed up our own crisis centers so that if you didn't uh, have room in the jail or the hospital and the better care could be done in a local crisis center, um, allow communities to staff those up and start opening them up. We were the first one in the state to do that. That gives you some temporary relief on the lack of beds, right? So we know that we have a low number of beds available. You do those two things, uh, roll back to Medicaid privatization, especially as it deals with the mental health uh, services, and invest directly in the local community providers. You can start to build a, the, at least the safety network related to mental health. When things really go wrong, it becomes a public safety issue. Uh, and then after that, uh, you know, more progressive policies on treatment on demand for mental health-related issues, uh, dual diagnosis in our jails uh, so that people can get care so they don't end up showing back up in the hospital or the jail, and uh, and then a bunch of other follow-on things. But there is actually significant bipartisan things we can do uh, if uh, the present leadership uh, decides to go there. Uh, that remains to be seen. This is the short session of the legislature designed to wrap up in mid-April. With the revenue numbers not coming in until sometime in March, another rush to adjournment with many long days and late nights might be expected. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. In the meantime, you can connect with us online anytime. iowawatch.org. Click on the Iowa Watch Connection tab at the top of the page to listen to all or part of this program again for a list of stations that carry the program, and more. iowawatch.org Follow us on Twitter at iowawatch, and be sure to use the hashtag IAWatchConnection when commenting about the program. We're on Facebook, too, facebook.com slash iowawatch. And you can let us know your thoughts about this program or suggest ideas for future programs by email. The address is radio at iowawatch.org. The program is produced in the studios of KXEL Radio, Waterloo, Cedar Falls, Cedar Rapids. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.